this morning to the book of Isaiah and the 6th chapter. The book of Isaiah and the 6th chapter this morning, if you will. And I uh, want to look at some verses today and uh, begin a thought. Next Sunday's Easter. I didn't intend it to be this way, but I may finish it next Sunday or at least preach another part to it next Sunday. Uh, but I want to begin a thought this morning uh, in the book of Isaiah and the sixth chapter on Isaiah's vision uh, that he saw, Isaiah chapter number six. And uh, thank God for the vision that Isaiah saw uh, in the sixth chapter. And I want to take a little bit of time this morning and, and dive into that and, uh, and preach to our hearts that the Lord will help us what, what it was that he saw and why it was uh, that he saw it. And uh, thank the Lord this morning, God's interested in showing us some things. Amen. Uh, if you'll give me a, just a touch more monitor, please, sir, I would appreciate that. That's good. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, let's stand a moment, uh, if you will, all over the building uh, as we read the Word of God. Uh, verse number 1, 6th chapter of the book of Isaiah, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Notice that also. Not only did I see that the king died, but I also saw another king. I saw the Lord sitting uh, upon a throne. I'm glad uh, that there's another king this morning. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims that, that uh, I found this out as a study, the IMS, the uh, suffix on this word seraph. Uh, seraph is the singular. IMS is the plural. Uh, there's more than one. Uh, the seraphims, uh, each one had six wings uh, with two of those wings, with twain. The Bible said he covered his, uh, he covered his face. One of the, the seraphs with two wings covered his face. Uh, with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. And so this seraph has his eyes covered, his feet covered, and he's flying. Uh, and these are they that uh, I'll read again, but I'm just talking to you this morning, that are about to cry of the Lord, holy, holy, holy. Uh, they could not look upon him, uh, and they covered their feet. Reminded me of... Uh, of uh, no man shall see my face and live uh, and also reminds me of what God told Moses uh, take off thy shoes for the place where thou standest is holy ground so they had their feet covered and their eyes covered and they were flying and here's what the Bible said in verse 3 and one cried unto another and said holy, holy, holy seems to me like there's one holy for the Father one for the Son and one for the Holy Ghost. And they are crying to another, declaring his glory. I'm gonna make a statement to you this morning, and I believe it. I believe why most folks in church uh, never make a peep, never make a cry of praise to God is because they hadn't seen Jesus in a long time. And these seraphs are before him, and they've got something to say about him. And you and I ought to practice down here because when we get to heaven, we're gonna be praising him. He is the object of praise there and he ought to be the object of praise down here. 
Uh, we can talk about anything under the sun other than the Lord Jesus with knowledge and understanding. But you want to talk about Christ to somebody and, and, and we're not interested in that. I still believe tonight or this morning that he's holy and that you and I who have known of his holiness ought to declare it every now and then. Can I get a witness right there? Uh, verse number uh, three, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy. Remember, Isaiah is seeing this vision. Verse three, is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, after he sees this vision of God, Isaiah the preacher says, woe is me. I tell you, not only will seeing the Lord declare uh, from your lips, holy, 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 but it'll make you say something about you. Woe is me. I'm gonna make another statement. This crowd that never cries holy, they never worship God uh, privately or publicly, probably because they've never seen him. But here's the other statement. This crowd that always boasts in what they do and what they're doing and who they are probably hadn't seen him either. Because if you see him, you're not gonna talk about you, you're gonna talk about him. And if you do talk about you, it'll be, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that amazing that the one king had to die before Isaiah could see the true king? Sometimes there are things that have to be removed from our vision before we can see what really is important. Verse six, then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hands which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, or this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Here's another thing that seeing the Lord will do. It'll make you want to go. It'll make you want to worship. It'll make you realize who you are and be honest and it'll make you want to go serve the Lord. Verse nine, he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. You hear, but you don't hear. This is the message, Isaiah, I want you to go preach to the people. You hear, but you don't hear. Uh, uh, you, you, you Tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And you see indeed, but perceive not. You see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't see. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them and when they cast their leaves so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. We'll stop reading there. It's uh, uh, 13 verses, the entire chapter, Isaiah 6. Let's pray this morning. I invite you to pray that God will help me as I preach, all right? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you today 
God, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, thank you this morning for letting us come to the house of God. Lord, we ask you now that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, no doubt there's probably someone here lost. I pray today that they would see Christ high and lifted up. Lord, there's folks in need. They're desperate. Lord, they are in need this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to see you. Lord Jesus, I pray, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. Uh, I, I want to I begin a thought today with the Lord's help uh, on the, the vision that Isaiah saw. The vision, what was it that Isaiah saw in uh, Isaiah chapter number six that so uh, changed his life? Uh, this book of Isaiah is interesting anyhow. If you're a student of the word of God, and I hope that most of you are, if not all of you, uh, you'll find Isaiah to be an interesting book. Uh, one interesting thing about it is it's been called the little Bible. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There's also 66 chapters or 66 books in your Bible. Uh, the first 39 chapters of the 66 chapters of Isaiah the first 39 of those chapters are dealing with the judgment that's been pronounced on the nation of Israel. Isaiah is the preacher and he is pronouncing the judgment of God on the nation that he loves. The first 39 chapters are judgment. It is chapter number 40 that, uh, or that uh, uh, John the Baptist shows up. The voice of one crying in the wilderness uh, shows up in Isaiah 40 and then uh, the next 27 chapters are dealing with grace, repentance, and revival, and renewal of the nation of Israel. It's kind of like the 66 books of the Old Testament are leading us to the judgment. John the Baptist shows up in the beginning of the gospel, said, make the path straight. The one you're looking for is coming. He is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And then the Lord Jesus shows up uh, and uh, the next, uh, uh, the New Testament is filled with the grace of God. It is filled with the, uh, uh, with the revival that God is bringing through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah's ministry uh, is interesting. I, I thought about uh, Isaiah as the preacher. Uh, he sees the Lord in chapter six and he makes this statement uh, after he sees the Lord. And the Lord says, whom shall I send? I'm looking for a man to go and preach my word, to bring my message to a generation. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah volunteers. He said, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. And God uh, sends Isaiah with a message and yet Isaiah never sees the fruit of the ministry, never sees the fruit of revival in his day. Uh, you know, you'd think as maybe uh, someone like Isaiah that said, what an honor to carry the word of God to my generation. What an honor to carry the word of God. And yet what a discouragement as you preach to a people and a nation that you love and you never live to see the day of there being any fruit of the, mes of the message and the ministry 
that you have. I, I thought about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go, and yet God made him go, and Jonah saw revival in his day. Isaiah wanted to go, God let him go, and Isaiah never saw it. I'm gonna say something to you this morning. The revival business is God's business. The church building business is God's business. The people business is God's business. Our business is declaring, thus saith the Lord, and let the chips fall where they will, and man respond how he's going to respond. Uh, I believe this morning uh, that we are living in days much like Isaiah's day. Uh, I, I, I thought about this, and sometimes it's easy when we read the Bible to see that as a far off distant land, and it was. Uh, Isaiah lived eight centuries before Christ. Eight centuries, nearly 800 years he lived before the coming Messiah uh, came. And Isaiah lived in a time but, uh, that is far off, but it was really not that far off as we tend to view it. We look at everything in history as something that really didn't happen, but it really did happen. Isaiah really was a man, and he really was a man who lived in this land that he really loved. He lived in Israel. Israel was the promised land of God that his forefathers had fought for under the protection hand of God to obtain. God had brought them out of Egyptian bondage. God had brought them across the Red Sea. God had brought his forefathers uh, across the Jordan River. They had marched around the walls of Jericho. Some of his forefathers had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and now they have come into the land and he has the history of the greatness of his nation. He knows where they've come from. He knows where they would have been. He knows what God has done and he has been brought up learning about the place that he loves, enjoying the land in which he lives. And I'll say this to you, Isaiah is a patriot of his land. Uh, Isaiah loves Israel as much as any of us have ever loved America. Isaiah looks at his land as a fruitful land. And, and I know when we think of the Middle East, we think of uh, barren and desert. Uh, but Israel is one of, the, one of the richest lands in nutrients and, uh, uh, and, and riches. Israel is one of the most prosperous pieces of real estate in all of the world. And especially in the day of Isaiah, the fruitful hills and the valleys and the vineyards and all that made up Israel. He loved the people. He knew its problems. He saw its politics. He saw uh, its downward spiral and yet it was his land. It was the land of his forefathers. It was the land of his birth. It was the land of his living. It was the land that his children if he had any came into that world. It was the land that held all of his hopes and dreams. It was his land. He's a patriot that loves his country. Do we have any patriots this morning that still love the grand old USA this morning? I know she has her faults, but I thank God that I am an American. I want to run that one by you again. Somebody ought to shout amen. I know that America has her faults, but I'm grateful that I am an American this morning. Isaiah loved his land as much as men you love ours. Uh, Isaiah saw his land headed just like you and I can see uh, where we're headed. And it's not good. 
Uh, it is not good where we're headed this morning. They've been saying it all my life. We're headed downhill. We're headed downhill. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep doing this. And we've kept doing what we said we couldn't keep doing. And we've kept doing it to the point where we are on the brink on so many levels of decay and decline and uh, upheaval and, and upside down and, and twisted and turned out of shape and out of fashion. And we are in a mess this morning. Isaiah looked at his country with the same compassion. Isaiah looked at his country with the same concern. Isaiah looked at his country with the same troubling view of if God don't help us, we are desperate. If God don't help us, we are destitute and in trouble. We see all of this this morning. Uh, Isaiah was a patriot. Isaiah loved his country. And Isaiah is given the wonderful task to go to his generation and preach in hopes, no doubt, that God's gonna turn it around, that they're gonna repent just like Nineveh did and have revival, and yet he never sees that. Whether you ever see fruit of what God's called you to do or not, that, doesn't, that does not negate the fact that God has called you, and it is your job to do that which is called to do. I, I, I wish that we could build a large church in our town in our day. I wish that folks, uh, uh, that, that, they, that they would be as accepting of Jesus as, as they are of so many other things, but the truth of the matter is, is Christianity is no longer popular. Maybe it never has been, but it's certainly not today. Uh, the religion of following Christ is now, now Jesus has become a popular symbol but the Jesus of the Bible has never been nor ever will be popular in this life. Yet Isaiah preaches. Thank God for a faithful preacher that just keeps on preaching. I'm not talking about me, though I do want to aspire to be in that crowd, but I have known some men from the beginning to the end. Brother Dan sitting back there never has wavered on his message, never has stepped down on the word of God. Thank God for some men who carried in popular times and in unpopular times and say, I want to tell you either way, here's what thus saith the Lord. Isaiah's... Uh, Prophecy is at the response of a vision that he sees. He sees the Lord and it changes his life. I, I want to look this morning at this vision that he saw and what it was uh, that, that, that God did for him through that when he saw the Lord. And that's what we need this morning, we need to see the Lord. It's what we need in our homes, it's what we need in our churches. We need to, we need to show up this morning, not to, though we want to hear the choir, not to hear a preacher, though we want to hear the preacher, not to see one another, but we need to come to church this morning and see him. And if we'll see him, he'll help us live and deal with all the things that we need to deal with. I'll give you my outline because I'm not going to finish it this morning, but I'm interested in dealing with about three things over the next couple of weeks. Number one, I'm going to deal with this this morning, the tragedy that fueled Isaiah's vision. Uh, next week, Lord willing, I want to look at the treasure that filled Isaiah's vision. And then following that, I want to look at the task that followed Isaiah's vision. This morning, let's take a little bit of time and look at the tragedy that fueled Isaiah's vision. The Bible said, Isaiah chapter six, verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. He said, uh, it was the year that my king died when I saw who my real king was. It was the year that Uzziah died uh, that I saw the Lord high 
and lift it up. I'm going to say to you this morning, there ought to be some things in our life that God's going to have to remove if we're ever going to see him for who he is. Can I get a witness right there? We have made gods out of men. We have made gods out of people. We have made gods out of things. I'm actually studying on a thought, and one of these days I'm going to preach it on the God of our storm. And what I mean by that is that we have made gods out of our storm. Do you realize that there are people you can sing all day long about Jesus and they'll never worship him? You can sing all day long about a Savior that came and bled and died and they'll never shed a tear, but you sing one song about a storm and they'll begin to weep and they'll begin to put on a worship. They are worshiping not the God of the Bible, not the God that saved them, but the God that they call a storm. Some people have no emotions unless the world's falling out from underneath their feet. I've got more to be thankful for this morning that I'm going through a storm. And if God makes me go through a storm, God help me. And I'm not belittling that because there are people going through some things, but I don't want to make a God out of my storm because I've got a God sitting on a throne that is high and lifted up this morning and I need to see him above my storm. Not belittling the storms people go through. I've gone through a few myself. Not like many of you. I'm not looking to, I don't want to, I'm not belittling that. If you're in the middle of a storm, I'm not declaring that you've made a God out of that storm. I'm just saying that some people do. Be careful that you don't this morning. But Isaiah had looked at Uzziah as a leader. He had looked at Uzziah and the Bible said Uzziah was a good king. 2 Kings chapter 15, the Bible tells us about Uzziah. He reigned 52 years. He began reigning in Israel uh, uh, when he was aged 16 years old. And he's reigned 52 years. And here's what the Bible said, uh, uh, 2 Kings 15 verse 3. And Uzziah did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that hard to find in a leader that it could be said of them that they did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Yet it was said of Isaiah's king Uzziah. That would be hard not to be discouraged at the death of one that did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. I believe we've had some who have, but not many. But Isaiah lived in a time where there was peace. He lived in a time where it was prosperous. He lived in a time where there was plenty. He lived in a time where there was patriotism. He lived in a time where there was power and his country was known. His country was known for their power and his country was known. But they said that Uzziah, because he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, had brought Israel back to a time that had not been since the days of David and Solomon. Isaiah had come up knowing about those days, hearing about those days, and now here comes Uzziah, and for 52 years he reigns, uh, and he does that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and the days in which Isaiah lives are parallel to those of David and Solomon in the land of Israel and Judah. Here's the only bad thing the Bible says about Isaiah. He did not tear down the groves 
of the idols. He did, he did right except one thing. He did not tear down those groves of those idols and those things that he did not deal with by the end of his reign would come back and haunt him. God judged Uzziah because of that and smote him with leprosy. Uzziah was a leprous king the last 15 years of his leadership and he lived separate from everyone else in a, in a, in a separate housing and for 15 of his last years he reigned with leprosy apart from everyone else. Uh, they knew it was coming. They knew that Jotham, Uzziah's son, probably didn't have what it takes to lead and they were headed for trouble. They, 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 knew, that, they knew that the day was coming and it was going to be bad. And then it does. Uzziah dies, the nation is now deteriorating before his very eyes. Does that not break your heart this morning as you look? And some of you have lived long enough to remember what it was. I feel like I've lived long enough to remember what it was in my childhood in the 80s and 90s. And I have witnessed and watched this generation come up. And I don't think there's hardly anybody under the age of 40 with a half an ounce of patriotism in most of our nation anymore. It's been robbed, and I know that's not true because there are some, but there's not many. But this tragedy fuels Isaiah's vision. It is in the midst of this tragedy, his king has died, his countrymen are falling apart, his nation is unraveling at the seams. He sees what he needs to see. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And I want to say this this morning, that I pray God continues to bless America, but if this whole thing falls apart, and it looks like it's where we're headed, you say, preacher, I didn't come over here to hear that. Well, I didn't come over here to lie to you. One or two things are going to happen. Number one, we're going to see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him as a church because the Bible's still true and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Or it could just might be this morning that as these things fall apart, we're getting closer and closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not an American thing anymore. This is a global thing. The whole globe is going in one direction. The whole world is going in one vision. The whole, uh, the, all the nations are moving. Uh, 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 Russia, the bear, is coming down uh, uh, in Europe. It is going to happen. Uh, it is prophesied in Ezekiel. The bear is coming down, and she's going to surround Israel. And when she does, God's going to put his mighty foot down, uh, and he's going to say, not today, bear. And all the leagues of Europe that have come together are under Russia, God is going to deal with them when they put their foot on Israel. It's Bible. China is coming. China, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound racist because we're. I'm just talking about the nations. The nations are moving. China is moving. And it is raising up. And the Bible said that these things would be. The whole world is moving in a global fashion. I was in Albania, a third world country until recently it has been. 
I was in Albania where just a couple of years ago you could literally get off the airplane and when you got off you had to walk into customs and, and, and you stood there and they wouldn't even stamp your passport half the time which would put you in trouble trying to get back out because how come you're here and you didn't even have your passport? I mean that was how behind the times it was. I was there in May. I come into Albania uh, last May and I go into the customs and they stamp my passport or they don't stamp my passport and, 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 and so I go on into the country without a stamped passport. I handed it to them. I thought they would. They didn't. I was back in December and there was no customs agent anymore. There was no booth where they stamped your passport. Here's what it was. I walked up, laid my hand down on a screen and looked in a, in a facial recognition and it stamped my face and my hand. Third world country. Facial recognition, hand recognition. I'm pretty sure I remember. Now, I'm not going to get all into politics this morning, and I'm not even trying to get off into prophecy this morning, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that the Antichrist is going to have a mark, and that that mark will be placed in a forehead and in a hand. This is not an American thing. This is a global thing. This is not a country thing. This is a national thing. This is not an us thing. This is a world thing. Are you hearing me this morning? Isaiah sees this. But when he sees this, God says, now I want to show you something else. And I'm going to tell you this morning that the greatest thing that we could ever see is not what Fox News has got to say, and it's not what CNN's got to say, and it's not what the leaders of the world's got to say, but the greatest thing that we could ever see is Jesus is still on the throne. He's high and lifted up. He's in control. And he is coming one day to get his bride. What a blessing this morning. Let's look at this tragedy that filled Isaiah's vision and the reason why it came. It's very important that we see it. I want you to flip back to chapter number five. Now, next week we're going to deal with what it was that he saw in this vision. But this morning I want to deal with why it was that he needed to see this vision. What was going on in Israel that was causing such judgment to come? And I want to tell this to you this morning with this mindset. Israel was a covenant nation. Are you hearing me? Israel was a covenant nation. God had made promises to Israel and yet God judged his covenant nation. If you think this morning that God would judge his covenant nation and not judge us, and we're not a covenant people. This is not a covenant nation. We, we are a blessed nation. We are a preserved nation, has been to this point. We are a, we are a, have been a Christian nation until our president a few years back declared we're no longer a Christian nation. And have you ever realized, have you ever thought about what comes along with a national leader making a national statement? You read the Old Testament, national leaders made statements and spirits moved when that leader made a statement like that. It set wheels in motion. And in 2008, 2009, when Barack Obama, before all the world, said America's no longer a Christian nation, I don't care what you think of him, he was our president, and he said, we are no longer Christian. And he set wheels in movement. He set men in movement. He set world leaders in movement. He set powers in movement. You say, does a president have that much power? He is a world leader. And world leaders have power that God has granted them. 
and it moves men and nations. And it was followed up by love who you want to love and live how you want to live. And we've never seen the spirit of sodomy on a nation like we've seen in the hour that we're living in because a public leader said, we're no longer standing for righteousness. We're no longer standing for godliness. But you do what you want to do and leave everyone alone. And spirits moved. Are you hearing me this morning? Isaiah saw it. His godly king is dead. He looked at his nation and said, it is a mess. And here's God's judgment and the reason why. God gives him a parable in Isaiah chapter number five. God said, here's the parable, Isaiah chapter five. He said, now verse one, I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. That's Israel. The, 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 the vineyard of God in a very fruitful hill. He said, I fenced it. He fenced it and gathered out the stones. He got all the hindrances out of the way, put a fence around it to keep things that would hinder it from coming in and to think, keep things that were in from getting out. He said, I fenced it and I gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine. He said, I got the best and put the best in it and I built a tower in the midst of it to defend it and to watch over it. Also made a wine press therein and he looked that it should bring forth grapes but here's what happened. It brought forth wild grapes. It did not produce. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, verse three, and men of Judah, judge I pray you betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it or not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard, to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. There are people protesting in our streets. There are people pronouncing, do away with God, do away. And honey, I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing that could ever happen is God completely lower down the hedge, completely lower down the wall, and say, no more will I defend you. Verse 6, he said, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is, he explains the parable, the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, and, and he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Now he's going to give them the warning. He gives them the parable. He says, I, I gave you the best. I gave you every opportunity. But you didn't want it. And if God could look at his covenant nation of Israel and say, I, I, I put you in the most fruitful place. I, 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 I surrounded you with my protection. I blessed you beyond measure. Is anybody hearing me this morning? And yet you didn't want it. And yet you were a wild grape, not a, not a grape from the vine. Yet you produced no fruit. Yet you rebelled against me. Uh, and now I'm going to remove the heads. Now I'm going to make the clouds to bring no water. Now I'm going to leave it with you just like you wanted. If God would look at Israel and do that, do you think for a second that God couldn't look at America and say the same thing? I want you to notice these. One, two, three, four, five. Six woes in Isaiah chapter 5 that is leading up to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's vision. 
There are six woes. That word woe, it's, 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 it's kind of like the equivalent of wow or warning. When you see that word woe, it is like, this whoa, wow, can you believe this? Hey, warning. Take notice. Woe. Notice the first woe this morning that leads up to Isaiah's vision of, of the coming Christ. It leads up to Isaiah's vision of the king on the throne. The first warning is in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 8. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, Many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an omer shall yield an ephah. Here's the first woe. He said, you build house upon house, you buy house upon house, and land upon land. You say, preacher, what, what is that that he is talking about? Here, if you're taking down notes, here, here's, the, here's the first woe. Here's the first great sin that is mentioned in Isaiah 5. It is unbridled materialism. Unbridled, have I lost all y'all this morning? Unbridled materialism. He said, one house is not enough for you. You need two and you need three and you need four and you need five. And you bought up all the houses so there's nowhere to live and people having to live in your slums or having to live in your projects or having to live in, 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 in your places and you're making all the money and you have bought it up and it's never enough and you bought up all the land. He's not talking about people who's farming to make a living. He's talking about people who's bought up everything that there is to buy up and one field's never enough. They need two fields and two fields is never enough. They need three fields and four fields is never enough. They need five fields and constantly they are buying and buying and buying and buying and buying and they need this house and 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 they are consumers to a fall. They are materialistic, unbridled materialism. It is not, and I want you to hear me, for all of our, I'm under 40 as well, but for all of our under 40 generation, it is not promoting communism or socialism. Oh, y'all help me now. Where, where, where everybody, you know, the government owns everything and we all just kind of, you know, we just kind of eat off the government's pie. I'm going to quit preaching this morning. Y'all ain't helping me a bit. Are y'all hearing me? He's talking about unbridled materialism. You work six days a week so that you can have all the stuff that you have and it's not enough and now you've got to work on Sunday. But I got to... I got to work all day Sunday because I got to make money because that money's got to buy all my stuff and I got to keep up with the Joneses down the street. No pun intended to these Joneses. And it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. I got to work all day. Got to work all night. Don't have time. And, the, and so then the, the, the world system says abort your baby. You don't have time to raise a baby. Abort your baby. We need you back at the job. We'll pay to get it done. Is that not alarming that the big corporations are willing to look at a mother and say abort your baby. You don't have time to enjoy life. We need you back here to work for us. You're climbing the ladder. Where are you going to be when you get to the top of that ladder? Alone. And when you're old and ugly, not saying that old people are ugly, but when you're old and ugly to them and you're no longer corporate material, 
You're, you're alone at the top of that ladder with nowhere to go. I tell you what there is. God wanted you to have a family. God wanted you to have some people in your life that loved you more than the corporate world and more than I'm preaching this morning and more than a dollar ever did love you. He said Israel has fallen because they have an unbridled materialistic world mindset. They work on the Sabbath they will not worship God. They have no time to worship God because they're working. They have no time to raise up young people that love God because if they don't kill that baby, then they pick that baby up and they take it to somebody else and say, I don't have time to raise this child, but you raise it for me. I'll come back and pick it up when it's older because I know that ain't popular preaching. I know nobody likes it, but honey, we're in trouble and we're headed for worse trouble and some, I can't change the world, but if God would change our little world, I've lost people that don't like it. It's never been my intention. It's never been my plan. I don't like being a mean preacher. I don't even think that's mean. That's just the truth. That's just right. God said you're too busy getting everybody else to do everything because all you care about is the money in your pocket and the prestige on your street. That house is never big enough. That car's never nice enough. You gotta work all day Sunday and all hours of the night. You're falling out of love with your wife and falling in love with the woman you work with because you're with her more than you are your wife. Somebody help me right there. Your wife don't have a husband. Your children don't have a daddy. Your, 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 your children don't have a wife and your husband don't have, or your children don't have a mama and your husband don't have a wife. But everybody's chasing a dream. And God said, I didn't design it to be this way. One house is enough for you. Enough land to do what you need to do is enough for you. You don't have to have your neighbor's house and land too. I'm too busy to go to church. You're too busy to worship God. And don't throw stones with this world falling apart because the first woe was to us that was too busy to do the right thing. While we were doing what they were doing. Oh my Oh my. Unbridled materialism is never enough. Gain of riches is all that matters. More, 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 more. I don't have time to go to church on Sunday. Preacher, when am I going to mow my grass? I work six days a week, sun up to sundown. When am I going to cut the yard if I, if I go to church? Well, you ought to be making enough money to pay somebody to do it then. He said, you, 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 you are unbridled in your materialism. Is anybody hearing me this morning? I know this is going to be rough this morning. I know y'all ain't going to like me after this. That's all right. Here's the second thing. Look in verse 11. I mean, I'm preaching. Is this the Bible or is it not? Look in verse 11. Whoa. And you say, preacher, boys, are you getting on my toes now? I've had some of them get on my toes and looking back, I'm glad that they got on my toes because it helped me out. And if a preacher needs to get on my toes, it ain't that preacher that's on, it's the Holy Ghost. Look at the second woe. Verse number 11, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink and continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabernacle and the pipe and wine are in their feasts but they regard not the work of the Lord neither consider the operation of his hands 
Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without pleasure or without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoices shall descend into it and the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Here's a second woe an unending pleasure. He said warning woe not only do you have an unbridled materialism problem, but you have an unending pleasure problem. Now, I know everybody reads that, and here's what you think. You think of the beggar on the street who got drunk this morning, stayed drunk all day just to cope with life, but that's not who God has in his mind. That is the end product of all of this. Who God has in his mind is this religious crowd that's playing Jesus, playing church, and playing religion, and they get up early to drink, and they drink all day, and they stay up late to drink, and they party, and they go to their concerts, and they go to their feasts, and they go to all their partying buddies, and they all hang out all week long drinking and partying, and they, have, and they, have, and they promote that. It's the college mindset. It's the college lifestyle. It, it, is the, it is the young people coming up to live to drink, live to party, and he said, one of these days you're going to turn around and you didn't do anything and you've drunk up all that you had you've wasted all that you have and you're going to be hungry and thirsty And we have raised up a generation and we've told them they need to go get drunk they need to go party, they need to go listen he's got, he's got a feast and music and there's nothing wrong with eating and music but that's all they can do we're just here for a good time I'm only down here for a little while let's have a good time but the problem with that good time is it's short lived you want to talk about a good time there's a good time in the joy of the Lord there's a good time in the presence of God, there's a good time going to bed in your right mind and getting up in your right mind This is the most intoxicated, inoculated generation. If they're not drunk, they're, all, they're drunk on drugs. Everybody's got a pill for 10 different things. You don't feel good? That's all right, go to the doc. He'll hook you up with something make you feel good for life. Problem with that is, is that wears off and it don't work. It is an escape from the reality and what you don't realize is while you're doing that that you are missing. You are missing the reality of life. And one of these days it's going to catch up to you and realize I missed it all. I wouldn't want to be hooked to anything that made me miss the reality of life because I've only got one and I want to be here for it. I'm going to run that one by you again. I've only got one to live and I want to be present in it. Although I'm not trying to knock you. There's folks addicted to stuff and God help them and God can help you. I've watched him do it. There's folks addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol and God can help you and thank God that he will. But that should never be what we promote. That should never be what we put on a pedestal and say go try it, go live it up. Because the end result is unending pleasure. They're just partying and, and listening to music We've raised it up. You can't even talk to people no more. Every kid's got that on there and just bouncing around. Of course, it ain't like that no more. It's like this. 
And I'm outdated and old-fashioned, so was Isaiah. And they didn't want to hear his message no more than you want to hear mine. They didn't like it no more than you like mine. It stepped on their toes as much as it steps on mine and your toes. They were pleasure-hungry. We'll drink, we'll drug, we'll party. We'll lay around with any old thing that'll lay with us. And he said, the whole time, everything that you got is running out. Are y'all hearing me this morning? That's the woe. Look look, look in verse 18. I'm going to get you these six woes and be done. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. They say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. Listen to me this morning. He said, woe unto them that take, this is the, this is the paraphrased preacher version and, 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 I'm, and I'm just showing it to you like, like, so we can understand it. Look, look in verse number, uh, verse number 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity. That word draw means to pull. Woe unto them that fill their wagon full of sin and pull it around. And here's what they do. They fill their wagon with sin and they pull it around down the street and say, hey, y'all look at what I'm doing. And then they say, where is he? Where is God? What's he going to do about it? If he's going to do something, why ain't he done it already? They make sport of their sin. They make parade of their sin. They, they, they fling their sin out in front of everyone. Not only do they have an unbridled materialism, not only do they have an unending pleasure, but they have an unrighteous defiance. Carrying sin around, heaped up, shaking their fists at God, saying, where is he? Are we, I mean, are we reading about Israel or are we reading about America? I can't tell the difference anymore. Where is he? As they pull their cart of sin. Where is he? That's coming. Y'all said he's coming. Where is he? Y'all said he cares. Where is he? Where is he? Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. And some of you in here, I'm around you enough. You're pulling your little cart around. I'm not, I love you. I'm trying to help you. But you're pulling your little cart around with your rebellion attitude, your rebellious spirit of laughing and mocking and preaching and the holy things of God. And one of these days, God's going to show you where he is. Where is he? As you pull your wagon around of all you can get by with. Look what I can do. Nobody cares what you can do. Nobody cares about your rebellion and your defiance. We're not trying to get by with stuff. We're trying to live for God. You pull your little wagon around, brag on your sin pile all you want to, but you're going to find out where he is here in a little bit. Unending pleasure, unrighteous defiance. Verse number 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
He said, I'm pronouncing judgment on this nation because they have an unbridled materialism. They have an unending pleasure. They have an unrighteous defiance. They have unspeakable perversion. He said, here's what they do. They call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They say of bitter things, that tastes good. They say of sweet things, that tastes bitter. They say of things that are of the light, that's darkness. And they say of things that are of the darkness, that's light. They say of things that are evil, that's good. And they say of things that are good, that's evil. What I'm doing this morning is hate speech. Abortion is the right of a woman. It's reproductive health care. That's good. If you would speak bad about that, how evil are you that you would deny some poor lady the opportunity to have reproductive health care? I'm not trying to deny and it ain't up to me to deny it. God denied it, called it murder. I'm going to tell you something else. I believe God will save anybody. I believe God can save anybody. I believe God wants to save anybody. But God made a man to be a man and marry a woman. And God married and made a woman to be a woman and marry a man. And they're not two the same thing. They're not equal. And I know it's cliche, but it's still true. God didn't make Adam and Steve to get married. He made Adam and Eve to get married. And some of you sitting in here this morning are religious as you can be, but you're offended this morning because you have begun to take on the mindset of this world instead of that world. And you say, oh my preacher, you shouldn't mess with stuff like that. You shouldn't deal with stuff like that. That's hateful. And here the deal is we'll love any Senator, they'll come in here and move off from the grace of God as much as we would anyone. But if we don't hold truth, we're going to have a bunch of young people that don't know who they are, and we already do. You know why a bunch of us say folks are just looking and thinking, I just don't get it. Because you hadn't figured out how to call evil things good things and good things evil things. They say, don't get married. Don't get married. Marriage, why would you get married? That's bondage. That's evil. Don't get married. Just live with one another and see if you like one another. You may not like one another. God called that adultery and fornication. That's what God said about it. It's adultery and fornication. He said, do you leave your mother and your father and you get married? And if you don't get married, you don't move in. You say, preacher, that's outdated. I know. Listen, I'm trying to quit preaching, but y'all help me out just a little bit. I'm wondering if half of you is already mad about that, and you're going to have to take it up with the Lord. I'm not no proud preacher, and I'm not no boastful preacher, but if this Bible's true, it's true. If it ain't, it ain't. Ain't no point in us being here. God will save anybody. He'll save you living in fornication. He'll save you living in adultery. He'll save you living in drunkenness. He'll save you out of sodomy. He'll save any sinner that'll come, but any sinner he saves, he's interested in getting them out of the sin that's killing them. He said, uh, you've turned the thing around and perverted everything. Boys don't know their boys anymore. Girls don't know their girls anymore. Men don't know who they're supposed to marry. Women don't know who they're supposed to marry. Can't tell light from darkness and darkness from light. Hate's called uh, uh, love and love's called hate. 
let a shooter go into a place, publicity, a public place, and shoot anybody, and God forbid it's a terrible thing. I hate, I hate to see it. It's horrible. But, but you, you, you let it be anything other than what it was, and it's going to be a hate crime. But you let that get turned around, and it'd be the church sitting there, and it'd be the Christian sitting there, and be the church kids sitting there, and you let it be the transgender, and they're going to call it terrorism, they're going to call it whatever, but they will not call it a hate crime. There's a preacher in Florida locked up last week because he was street preaching. He had a permit, went and got a permit. He was at a transgender rally. He went and got a permit, and he wasn't even being mean. He's preaching the truth, preaching God will love you, God will save you. You're going to have to leave your sin. He was preaching. He went and got a permit so he could public preach. And the police surrounded him and, 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 and locked him up, took him off. For preaching in America. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. If you think that that crowd's mindset is that we're just going to love everybody, they're going to love everybody that's with them. And they're going to hate anybody that stands against them. I'm trying to be done. But the people raised up in your house, you don't even know how sympathetic they are to that. Because when you turn out the lights, they're plugged into TikTok and YouTube and they're getting, they're hearing it all. And they're coming up in your house and they don't agree with your Bible, they don't agree with your God. I seen something the other day. Do you know what, in America, you know, and, and TikTok is a Chinese uh, app comes from China. Do you know what in America it plays? Vulgar hip-hop, vulgar rock, vulgar music, cussing, profanity, transgenderism, sodomistic lifestyle, drinking and partying is all it promotes in America for the most part. The same company that produces, a Chinese company in China, you know what it produces? Education, information, piano, recital, Memorization. Now, why would, why would a country, a communistic country, promote in their country that we're going to teach you something and promote in our country we're going to tear something down? Because you're not going to have a military when they don't know what they are. You're not going to have morals when there is no moral line. You're not going to have men. And it takes me, God help us this morning. I'll shout it to the rooftop. It takes men to raise a society. We still need men. We still need men. We still need men with callous hands and a backbone to stand in a society. Still got to have them. And we need ladies that ain't trying to be men. I'm not talking about being a farm girl. Be a farm girl. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dress you a certain way. You let the Holy Ghost do that. But quit trying to prove that you're a man. God didn't make you a man. He made you a woman. If he wants you to be a man, he made you a man. There ain't nothing belittling or secondary in being a woman. Thank God there's men. Thank God there's women. Gotta have both. Men trying to prove how feminine they are. Women trying to prove how masculine they are. Reversed. Reversed. And 
why in the world are you going to buy into the reversal of society that's heading downhill? Jesus is coming here in a minute and I won't be on the right side of this. Unrighteous defiance, unspeakable perversion. Verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own, in their own eyes. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, prudent in their own sight. Verse 21. He said the next woe was an unwavering conceit. Wise in their own eyes, couldn't tell them anything. Couldn't teach them a thing. Everybody's got an opinion now and they all got a platform to share it. Can I tell you something this evening, or this morning? It's afternoon now. I'm about sick and tired of hearing everybody's opinion. I don't care what you think. And I don't expect you to care what I think. Well, you know, I just think, yeah, we know we've heard. That's all you do is tell us what you think. Well, I just think. Everybody's sick of hearing what you think. You think everybody wants to hear what you think because you think that you got all the answers. Well, you say, preacher, you're standing up there telling us what you think. I'm not telling you what I think this morning. I'm not telling you what I think this morning. If I tell you what I think, I'll let you know here's what I think. But I'm telling you what he said. I'm telling you what he said. I'm telling you what he said. And, and I didn't say it. I didn't come up with it. I didn't originate it. It wasn't my idea. I probably wouldn't have done it that way. Probably wouldn't have said it that way because I'm human like you. But that's what he said. And we believe this book and what he said or we don't believe this book and what he said. And if we do, then let's just say what he said. Not what we think about what he said. Unwavering conceit. And God said, I'm coming with judgment because all y'all want to sit around and talk about how right y'all are. And you ain't ever thought about my book anymore. And half the Christian world is trying to figure out what the Greek said. Well, now what did he mean in Greek? I don't know. I didn't study Greek, but I studied English and he gave me one in English. I didn't study Greek, didn't have to. He gave me a Bible, it was English. 1600s, he gave us a Bible because the whole world was going to be, you can go to Africa and they all speak English. You can go to Europe, they all speak English. You can go to any country in in the world and everybody there speaks English. And if they don't, they know somebody who does. Because God knew the whole world was going to speak English and he gave us an English Bible. I don't even know what the Greek or Hebrew said. Here's the last one, I'm done. (laughs) Praise the Lord, huh? Verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Verse 22, here's the last woe. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Here's the last woe. He said you have unacceptable leadership. Your mighty men and your strong men are mixing wine and strong drink. People who's in charge are drunk. They can't make right decisions. What was it God said, uh, uh, Solomon said uh, uh, to his son in Proverbs? Solomon's mother said to Solomon in Proverbs, not for kings, not for kings. 
Why does the market strong drink is raging? And he who deceived by, by their, thereby is not wise. Not for kings, not for kings, not for kings. Not for kings. He said, uh, nobody should if you're deceived there. By you're not wise. It's not a wise thing to be deceived. It's mocking, it's raging. It'll make you a madman or it'll make you a mock man. You either be a madman or a mock man. Why is a mocker strong drink is raging? Strong drink will make you a madman and make you angry. Wine will make you a mocked man. You'll mock others and you'll be mocked. And if you deceive thereby, you're not wise. Hey, God loves you. God, God loves you. God will help you. You may be here this morning. You may be saved. And that stuff may have such a grip on your life. You say, preacher, I've tried a million times. I let it go. And if I knew how, I would. I'm going to tell you something. God loves you as much today as he ever has. God, God, God loves you and, and he loves me in spite of my faults as well. But don't make excuse for the wrong thing you're doing. Give it to God. Let God help you. Be honest with people. Be honest with people in your life that love you. Be honest with a preacher in your life. Say, hey, I'm, I'm tired of hiding this. I got a problem. I need help. God can put people in your life to help you. If you're addicted to pills, God can deliver you. God can help you, but you're going to have to be honest about it. God don't think less of you because you got in trouble. You can't get out of every sinner. Whoever got in sin got in trouble they couldn't get out of. And there ain't nobody in here any better because they ain't got the trouble you got. Because they got trouble in their closet. They got trouble in their house. They got trouble in their heart that you don't know about. Don't you walk around here with your chest poked out because you ain't addicted to something. You, 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 you got just as much trouble as everybody else has got. But he said their leaders would make right decisions and righteous decisions because they're all drunk and they're all on drugs, they're all intoxicated. Unacceptable. They can't discern right and wrong. We got a whole squad of leaders coming up that in their free time they're drunk and they're drugged and they're partying. generation that came out of the 60s and there's a bunch of y'all in here and I'm not knocking y'all but the generation that come out of the 60s all come out doped up and came into politics and God said Isaiah I want you to go tell them they're not going to listen to you they're not going to listen to you but I want you to go tell them so they know I want you to go tell them so they know their leadership is unacceptable they're all drunk Ain't none of them making right decisions. And I'm about to come with judgment and deal with the whole crowd. And this morning, not everywhere, but all across this world, in some form or fashion or another, there stood a man of God behind the pulpit. And he has looked at a crowd and preached a message that he didn't want to preach that he knew it wasn't popular and he knew it wasn't going to gain him any prestige in the community and they weren't going to knock down his doors trying to be a part of his church. They might knock down his doors, but not to get in on what he's doing. And he stood this morning. And do you know why? Do you know why? Because he saw what Isaiah saw. In the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. I've done seen something greater than what I got down here. 
I hope you have too. We've done, we've done seen somebody greater than any leader Republicans or Democrats can come up with. We've done seen somebody that knows more than CNN and Fox News. We've done seen somebody that knows more than I do or my neighbor does. His name's Jesus. He's seated on a throne. He's high and lifted up. And this morning in the very presence of God, the seraphim are crying, holy, holy, holy. And if you'll see him, you'll say what he says, say. I'm done preaching when you come to the piano this morning. It's a lot to chew on. I ask you this one thing. Is it my opinion or is it what the book says? Is it what the book says? What are you going to do with what the book says? This was the judgment. This was the reason. Whoa. You know, it also means stop. Whoa. Don't drive off that bridge. Whoa. Don't go to hell. Whoa. Don't die without Christ. Whoa. Don't live your life in a manner that's going to wreck your life. Whoa. Pay attention. Hold on. Hit the brakes. Lord Jesus, now I have preached this morning and I'm going to leave it with you. I, guarantee, I mean it, Lord, I'm going to leave it with you. However it's received, Lord, you know my heart. I'm not mean. I love people. Oh, there's so much love in my heart for people, for these people and for people that are not here. I love people. But Lord, I've seen you. I've heard your voice. Lord, I have not preached God as a better than, but I have preached this morning the warning from the Word of God. The tragedy that fueled Isaiah's vision is he saw what was coming because you showed it to him. And he needed to see who was coming. Lord, it's not going to get any better down here. The nations are moving, the worlds are moving to globalism, one world economy, one world money, one world religion. The whole world is bowed down to the religion of climate change. Everyone worships it. Climate change is the new religion. It has a God. It, it has a prophet. It is preached in our schools. It is preached all over. It is atheism at its core. It is denial of God's word in its essence. It is the religion of society. Our money's changing because of it. Our transportation is changing because of it. Our freedom is changing at its hand. These things are coming, and there's nothing we can do to stop them. They may be postponed from time to time, but they're here and they're here to stay and they're coming stronger. And God, if somebody don't tell our generation the truth, they're going to march off into hell never even knowing. I've done my best to do it. Now, Lord, help us. In 
Jesus' name. Let's stand all over the building this morning.